Well, there really isn't anything more comforting than knowing that Jesus is yours and you are his. One of the things I remember from my days in elementary school is my teacher repeatedly telling me that I was hard of listening. Now, mind you, she didn't say I was hard of hearing. She knew I could hear. She knew there was nothing wrong with my hearing. She specifically told me, Stephen, you're hard of listening. Meaning that I wasn't paying attention to what she was saying. I wasn't focused on her words. I wasn't concentrating on what she had to say so that while I I heard her words, her words really had no impact on me. They didn't make a difference in me. They were, as we say, in one ear and out the other. And apparently I'm not the only one who's ever had this problem because effective Listening is a skill that many people just don't naturally possess and they have to learn this skill in order to succeed in their sphere of of work. According to one online website concerned with helping people become better listeners, they said, and I quote, listening is so important that many top employers provide listening skills training for their employees. This is not surprising when you consider that good listening skills can lead to better customer satisfaction greater productivity with fewer mistakes, and increasing sharing of information that in turn can lead to more creative and innovative work. Now, as important as it is, folks, in the world of business to learn how to be a good listener, it is far more important to learn to effectively listen to God because there is nothing, absolutely nothing more important than hearing the word of God since there are eternal consequences at stake. In fact, the Bible is filled with exhortations about the importance of hearing and listening to God with the most well-known statement being God's words to the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It's known as the Shammai. Almost every Jewish person knows this. The Shammai, which is the Hebrew word for to hear. And it says, hear or Shammai, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. This statement is considered by the Jewish people to be their, really their official affirmation of their belief in monotheism, meaning that there's only one God and not a plurality of deities that pagan religions believe in. And it's such an important statement that God specifically calls them to hear it, Shammai, hear, to listen to these words, to heed his declaration because it is the foundation of their faith. The Lord our God is one. And throughout the Old Testament, God repeatedly called Israel to hear him and to listen to what he had to say to them because he knew that their natural inclination was not to listen to him, to be hard of listening. So we read, for example, such verses as Psalm 81, verses 8 through 11, where we read, Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you, O Israel, if you would listen to me. Let there be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice, and Israel did not obey me. That is an ongoing issue in the Old Testament. He spoke, they didn't listen. But not only was listening to God a major problem for the Jewish people during Old Testament times, it was also a problem for them in the New Testament era. And I say that because the writer to the Hebrews, writing obviously to Jewish people, emphasizes their need to hear the message of Christ, to hear the gospel, and to respond to it with faith. 
Notice how often the writer to the Hebrews uses the very same words. He says, today, if you will hear his voice. He repeats that a number of times in this letter. So, for example, we read in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoke me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. Again, He says the same thing just a few verses later in chapter 3, verse 15. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. And still again, folks, the writer feels compelled by the Spirit of God to say the same thing a few verses later in the next chapter, chapter 4, verse 7. He again fixes a day saying, today saying through David after so long a time just as has been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. All of these verses are a quote from Psalm 95 verse 7, exhorting the Jewish people not to repeat the sins of their fathers, who although they heard God's voice, failed to heed God's voice, and so they hardened their hearts and did not obey him. However, I want you to know that a failure to listen to God and to respond properly to him, it's not strictly a Jewish problem. It's not limited to the nation of Israel. It is a human problem. And the proof of that is found in the parable of the sower that we studied just a few weeks ago in Luke chapter 8. So why don't you turn to Luke chapter 8. As you'll recall, this parable is about a farmer who threw some seed on his field which landed, Jesus said, on four different kinds of soil, with each soil representing a different heart response to the gospel. But what I want you to notice, and we're not going to go over the the parable, we're going to tie it in with the next passage that we're studying today, but I want you to notice something important that perhaps we didn't emphasize when we covered this, that each of these individuals that Jesus spoke about, whose heart was like the soil, they all heard the word of God. Not one of them could say, well, I didn't hear it. You didn't speak to me. They all heard the word of God. Only one type of individual, though, had a heart response of obeying the word of God. Notice what the Lord said in explaining the meaning of the parable to his disciples. He said in chapter 8 of Luke, starting in verse 12, those beside the road are those who, note this, have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. But they heard so that they'll not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who, again, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, in time of temptation, they fall away. The seed which fell amongst the thorns, these are the ones who, again, who've heard. And as they go on their way, they're choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. So all of these people, they heard. They heard the word of God. And this morning as we resume our study of the gospel of Luke, we see that Jesus, after explaining to his disciples the meaning of this parable, they came, as you recall, they said, what does it mean? And explain it to us immediately. Immediately, the Lord tells them of the necessity of proclaiming his word. In other words, throw the seed. Throw the seed. The parable is about the sower who threw the seed. He's telling them, throw 
the seed. And he does this how? By stating in the very next verse following his explanation, his interpretation of the parable of the sower, he gives them another parable, a very brief parable about lighting a lamp for all to see. And then he adds several reasons why it's so important that the light of the gospel be heard by all. So to begin with, notice verse 16. The Lord gives what many have called a mini parable concerning a lamp being lit. He said in verse 16, Now no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a container or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. Now this has been called, I haven't called it a parable, but it's probably more accurate to say that this was a common saying that Jesus often used in his teaching ministry to make an obvious self-evident point. And I say that because he essentially said the same thing later in Luke chapter 11, verse 33, as well as in Matthew chapter 5, verse 15, in his Sermon on the Mount. So apparently, the Lord used these same or perhaps similar words throughout his teaching ministry in order to communicate a truth that was easily understood by everyone because it's just so clear that no one could possibly miss it. He said, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a container or puts it under the bed, but rather puts it on a lampstand. Now, that's rather apparent. No one could possibly argue with this. Why would anyone light a lamp and then cover it? That just doesn't make any sense. Because the reason someone lights a lamp in a room is to give forth, to shine forth some light so that those who enter the room, who come into the room, can see and not be in darkness. That's rather clear. And that's exactly what Jesus said so that those who come in may see the light. Now, in ancient Israel, lamps, lights, were far different, obviously, than the world we live in. In ancient Israel, lamps were simple pieces of pottery shaped like a saucer with a spout, and they also had a handle. A wick was inserted in the pottery along with some olive oil, and when that wick was ignited, well, there would be light. And everyone who did this would then take this saucer-like shaped lamp and they would place it on an elevated stand in their home in order to illumine, to enlighten, to spread some light throughout their home. It would be absolutely foolish, even absurd, for someone to light a lamp and then place a jar over it or put the lamp under someone's bed because the light would then be extinguished. It would be foolish. Now, listen closely, because the point that the Lord... The point that he's making is that the Word of God, specifically the gospel message of salvation, it's like a light that must never be hidden. It must shine forth so as to enlighten those who hear it. Now keep in mind that Jesus has just been talking, as I said, to his disciples. He's been explaining to them about how the sower casting his seed speaks of the gospel message being spread. And now, without taking a break, there is no break here, Jesus continues teaching the same thing, only he uses a different metaphor. Instead of the word of God being compared to seed that's being thrown, Jesus now compares it to light, which must never be concealed, it must never be hidden from anybody. In other words, whatever they hear from him, namely the truth of the gospel, they must proclaim to others so that others hear it and respond to it. So the Lord's disciples, they would have immediately understood what Jesus was saying because the word lamp was used in the Old Testament scriptures as a metaphor for the truth, God's truth. 
So that we read, for example, in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Again, in Proverbs 6, verse 23, we read this, for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light. And in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul used that as well, that metaphor of light for truth, speaking before King Agrippa, giving his defense before the king in Acts chapter 26, verse 23. Paul said that the Christ was to suffer and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. The light, the truth, the word of God. Now listen closely. What the Lord is telling his first disciples and us as his present day disciples is that we are responsible to proclaim the truth of the gospel. We are never to conceal it. We are never to hide it. We are never to keep it to ourselves and from others. The apostle Peter very strongly tells us that we have been chosen. We have been called by God for the purpose of proclaiming the truth about him to others. Peter said these marvelous words in 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Folks, you've been chosen, you've been saved, you've been called in order to proclaim the excellencies of our Lord. And not only are we to proclaim the excellencies, the truth about Jesus verbally, but we are to live in such a way that our transformed lives shine forth the truth of the gospel. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. He said, you are the light of the world. He's talking to believers. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. In other words, live out the truth of a transformed life before unbelievers and some of them as they see your good works, your godliness, Christ in you, coming through you, as they see that, they will come to faith in Christ and they will glorify As believers, they will glorify their Father who's in heaven. They'll come to know Him as their Father, and it's all because God has used you to spread the truth through you. Now, I ask you then, you can't just hear that and do nothing with it. Does your light, does the light of Christ in you, does it shine before men? Do you have a testimony to others? Does it shine in the way you speak to people? Does it shine in your ethics, your integrity, your honesty? Does it shine in the way you sacrifice for others, the way you love others? Does it shine in the way you treat others, especially your spouse and your children? Does it shine at work, at school, in your home? This is the way we communicate to others the reality of our faith. It's one thing to say something about Christ. It is another thing, and it has to reinforce what you say to live Christ. We are lights in a dark world of unsaved people who are characterized by self-absorption, selfishness, anger, arrogance, immorality, greed, envy, lying, complaining, and every other rebellious attitude and action you could possibly think of. 
This is why the Apostle Paul told the Philippians in Philippians 2, 14 and 15. He said, do all things without grumbling or disputing because that's the way unbelievers are. Don't complain so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless, innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation among whom you appear, he said, as lights in the world. We live in a dark world. We are shined forth as lights. So we are to speak. We are to live in such a way that the light of the gospel shines through you to a dark world, a dark and lost world. And so like farmers, our responsibility before God is to throw the seed of the word upon all kinds of soil-like hearts, And like lamps in a dark place, we are to shine forth the light of the gospel for all to see and hear the truth about Jesus. And it's imperative that we do this. This is not presented by our Lord as an option. This is not a suggestion. This is not something that you go home and you decide if you're going to do this. This is a command. A command that we are never to conceal his word, but we are to proclaim it to others. And having said this, as I want to emphasize, without taking a break so as to interrupt his train of thought, as Jesus continued talking to his disciples, he then moved into giving three reasons as to why it is absolutely necessary for us to shine forth the light of Christ so that unbelievers hear it and listen to it. His first reason is this, because there is a day of judgment that's coming. There is a day of judgment coming. Verse 17, For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Now, what does our Lord mean by these words? What do his words have to do with proclaiming the gospel and listening to it? Well, we're given a clue. We're given a clue as to how to interpret these words because just a little bit later, in Luke chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Jesus used essentially these same words to warn people about the sin of hypocrisy. That is the sin of pretending to be something that you're not. Notice what he said, Luke chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We read, under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, he, that is Christ, he began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there's nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. And what Jesus is doing here, he's warning those who claimed to be his disciples to make sure that they're not like the Pharisees, who were complete hypocrites, pretending to be righteous and holy men. But you know what? It was all theater to them. It was all a performance, a religious performance designed to impress others. Everything about them was external. Nothing of heart, nothing internal. Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, verses 27 through 28, he just nailed them when he said, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Listen, the Pharisees were just people who faked piosity. They were really evil men. They were ungodly men who only gave the appearance of being righteous and living in obedience to the laws of God. But it was all external, just for show, because inside their hearts, Jesus said, 
that they were lawless and they were rebellious. And what Jesus is telling us is that we have to make sure that we're not like the Pharisees in that we pretend to love him, pretend to be his followers, but in reality we're hypocrites because we don't love him. And we don't really follow him. We don't care about obeying him and we're not interested in honoring him. In other words, the Lord is telling us to make sure that we are not false disciples. People who call him Lord, but in their hearts they have no intention of obeying him as Lord. It's all for show. And the reason it's so important, folks, for us to make sure that that what we are outwardly, what we outwardly profess to be, namely a follower, a disciple of Christ, is exactly what we are on the inside in our hearts. Why? Because Jesus said, for nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. In other words, there's coming a day of judgment when God will expose what's in our hearts so that what we are on the inside, hidden from all others, known only unto us, will finally be revealed and the truth about us will be out in the open for all to see. It's not hidden anymore. Have you lived a life of hypocrisy? Hypocrisy, which no one else but you knows, but you've done perhaps a good job of concealing it from others. Well, if that's the case at the time of judgment, you'll be exposed as a phony, as a fake disciple. You see, what the Lord is saying is that when God sits in judgment, those sins that people have hidden in their hearts, known only to them and no one else, will finally be revealed because God will bring them to light so that the truth about each of us will be just out in the open. If you're a true disciple, that will be made known. And if you're a false disciple, that will be made known too. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 2.16, On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. Listen, the most horrifying thing that can ever happen to someone is that you go through life professing to know Christ, claiming to be a Christian, Claiming that you, yes, you know the Lord. He's your Lord. You're one of his sheep. Only to hear the Lord say to you when you stand before him those terrifying words of Matthew 7, 23. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And he'll say this to you if you're a hypocrite. If you're a pretend Christian. He will unmask your pretense and deception so that you'll be exposed for what you really are because what you have managed to keep hidden from others all these years, that'll become evident. That'll become known to all. There's nothing you can hide. So what do you do about this? What should you do in light of this coming judgment when the truth about you will finally be revealed for all to see? Well, simply make sure you're not a hypocrite. Make sure you're not a hypocrite, that you're not a false disciple. How do you do that? Well, get serious about following Christ, about obeying his word. Make sure that you have really repented of your sin and that you are trusting Jesus Christ alone for your salvation and that he indeed is your Lord. In other words, examine yourself to see if you're really in the faith, if you're really a true believer. And you examine yourself by seeing if there's observable evidence in your life that you have indeed been born again. Such as, do you hate your sin? Do you confess your sin regularly to God? 
Do you love Christians simply because they are in the family of God? Not because of their personality. Some Christians are difficult to like. But we can love all Christians simply because they are in God's family. Do you desire to obey God's word? Even when you blow it and you sin, do you get up and desire to obey the Lord and want to please him and honor him, especially when nobody else is around watching you? These are just some of the tests that the Apostle John writes about in his first letter, 1 John. I would encourage you to read that because at the end of the letter, he tells these folks in 1 John 5.13, these things I have written to you who believe that you may know that you have eternal life. This is a book that will give you assurance if you're truly a believer. There will be evidence in your life. No unbeliever desires to obey God. No unbeliever loves God. God's people. No unbeliever regularly confesses their sin, hates their sin. Those are the marks of being born again. So why is it so important that we who are Christians let the light of the gospel out by proclaiming it? Because there's coming a day when God will judge people and some, some are not ready to face him. Some in churches who hear the word all the time, they're not ready to face him. You need to hear the gospel and need to make sure that you're real that you've truly trusted Christ for salvation. But as Jesus continued speaking to his disciples, he gave them a second reason as to why it's absolutely necessary to shine forth the light of Christ so that unbelievers listen and hear it. The first reason is because there's a day of judgment coming. The second reason he gave is because what people do with the gospel determines their future blessings or lack of blessings. Verse 18. So take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. Now, in light of the coming judgment of God, Jesus says that we should take care or take heed to how we listen to the word of God. In other words, we should be attentive. We should be focused. We should be concentrating when we hear scripture. And the reason for this is because what we do with the word of God will determine whether God blesses us or takes away from us. So let me explain what the Lord is talking about. When Jesus says, whoever has to him more shall be given, he means that those who become his followers, his disciples, those who hear the gospel and are serious about it, and receive Christ as their Savior, God will bless them not only with salvation, that's just the beginning, but also with productive, fruitful lives of spiritual growth and maturity. In other words, they'll be blessed with godly, Christ-like character qualities in their lives as a result of God's work of grace in their lives. They're going to grow spiritually. This is the same thing that Jesus taught in the parable of the sower. When he said in verse 15, but the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart. They hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. It's the fruit of godliness. If you listen carefully to the gospel and you take God's word seriously, you'll be saved. And you'll be blessed by God to grow in your faith. The more you pay attention to Scripture, the more you will be blessed with spiritual growth. However, on the other hand, Jesus said, and whoever does not have even what he thinks he has shall be taken away from him. Now, these are words about unbelievers. First, he spoke about those who would become believers. But now he's talking about unbelievers who hear God's word, but they do nothing about it. 
they do nothing with it. These are the people in the parable of the sower who either have hardened hearts, rocky hearts, or crowded hearts, so that when the gospel is proclaimed to them, they hear it, but they don't respond to it. And as a result of their rejecting the light of the gospel, what they think they have will be taken away from them, Jesus said. I take it that what the Lord means by this is that unbelievers who think that they are good enough to get into heaven will in the end, when they stand before God, come to the shocking, startling realization that they have nothing, no righteousness to commend them to God so that all of their false hopes, which they've lived on for all their years, all their, all their lives, it'll be taken away from them. John MacArthur in his commentary on Luke put it this way. He said, in the end, the false disciples lose everything. All their self-righteous works that they had counted on to bring them salvation will turn out to be nothing but rubbish, vain things that cannot save. Like the wicked, lazy, unfaithful slave in the parable of the talents, they'll be cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, before we move on to the third and the final reason that Jesus gave why it's so necessary for us to shine forth the light of the gospel so that people hear it, it's important that we consider what he he said at the beginning of verse 8, how we listen to the word of God. Jesus said, so take care how you listen. So how do you listen to God's word? Do you pay attention when you hear the word of God preached? either in pulpit or you're at some conference or you're watching on YouTube or you're in a Sunday school class, are you focused on what's being taught or are you a casual listener? Half listening, but also thinking about some other things. Or perhaps your attention is divided because you're busy talking to the person sitting next to you in church so that you hear a little bit of the sermon, but not enough of the sermon for it to make a difference in your life. Take heed, Jesus said, to how you listen. Folks, the word of God is to be listened to with rapt attentiveness, simply because it is the word of God. And you don't want to miss anything since God is the one speaking to you. There's nothing more important than hearing him. A sermon should be listened to with complete attentiveness. And that requires that you have to fight off things. You have to fight off the urge to doze off or to have your mind wander or to be preoccupied by looking at the people sitting in front of you. Frankly, I would never sit in the back during a church service because I would be too distracted by the people sitting in front of me. Now that's me. For all of you in the back, you have to decide yourselves. But listen, we have plenty of room up here. Plenty of room. When I was a student at Moody Bible Institute, I purposely, every time there was chapel, I purposely was either in the first row or if I didn't make it in time, the second row. I just don't want to be thinking about people in front of me. I want to be riveted on what the speaker is saying. I don't want to be distracted. Listen, too much is at stake to not listen carefully to God's word because Jesus said, based on your response to his word, you will either be spiritually productive, bearing much fruit, or you will be totally totally unproductive, losing even what you think that you have. And so having told us that we must shine forth the light of the gospel so that people hear it because number one, God's coming judgment will reveal if we are authentic Christians or hypocrites. And number two, because what people do with the gospel determines their future blessings or lack of them. As Luke continues writing, he does something most interesting. He inserts an incident into the narrative that according to both 
the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark took place sometime earlier in Christ's ministry, certainly prior to him giving the parable of the sower. However, Luke, led by the Spirit of God, inserts this incident here because it perfectly illustrates the point of the parable of the sower and it fits perfectly with what Jesus is saying about the importance of proclaiming the gospel so that others hear it and respond to it. So in telling us about this incident, what Luke does is he adds a third reason why it's necessary for us to preach the gospel so that others can hear it, with that reason being this, because it's by hearing and obeying the gospel that we become a member of God's family. Notice verse 19. And his mother and his brothers came to him and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. Now Luke tells us that while Jesus was teaching a large crowd of people, his mother and his brothers came to see him. But they were unable to get to him simply because the large crowd was surrounding him and it was impossible for them to get through the crowd. Now obviously his mother is Mary. We met her earlier in our study of Luke. And his brothers would be his half-brothers, those who were born to Mary and Joseph, since Mary was a virgin only until the time that Jesus was born. And the fact that Joseph isn't mentioned in this story would seem to indicate that he had passed away. So, the question is, why were Mary and her other son so interested in contacting Jesus, especially when he's in the, the middle of teaching this massive crowd of people? It'd be like... It'd be like my family coming up to me while I'm giving a sermon saying, excuse me, Steve, I have something important to tell They wouldn't do that, I hope. But why would the Lord's mother and his brothers do this? Well, Luke doesn't tell us. However, Mark, in his gospel account, states something that indicates why our Lord's family came to see him. Here's what we read in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Speaking of Jesus, we read, and he came home, probably meaning to Capernaum, and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, he's lost his senses. It would appear that in light of the rising antagonism towards Jesus on the part of the Jewish religious leaders, and the huge crowds that just kept gathering around him so that he and his disciples, they didn't even have time to take a break and eat a meal. His family thought that he had lost his mind, meaning that, that they thought he wasn't thinking clearly, that he was being irrational. And so apparently Mary and the Lord's brothers, out of concern for his welfare, came to rescue Jesus from himself by trying to remove him from the public eye. However, the, the multitude of people, as we said, surrounding Jesus just made it impossible for them to get to the Lord. And so here's what we read in verse 20. And it was reported to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. Now, since the crowd, as we said, was just too large for them to get through so that they could get to Jesus, others had a report to Jesus. It probably went through the crowd until those right around Jesus told him, your, your mother and your brothers are outside waiting to see you. And by outside, we don't think it was a house because a house is not mentioned in any of these accounts. Probably it just means the outskirts of the crowd. They're in the outskirts. They can't get through. But we're telling you, your mom and your brothers are waiting. They want to see you. Now, all of this is just leading up 
to the main point that Luke wants us to see. And it's the reason he included this incident here in his gospel account. Verse 21. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. I know it's easy to look at this statement and to think, boy, the, the Lord certainly doesn't, doesn't appear that he cared about his family, that they really didn't matter to him. Why did he say this? But if that's your conclusion, it would be the wrong conclusion. Jesus cared deeply for Mary, so deeply that even while hanging on the, the cross and during the agonies of, of hell, he thought about her enough to turn to the disciple, John, and said, take care of her. Behold your mother. Take her into your home. Take care of her. No, he loved her dearly. He also cared about his half-brothers, so much so that we read that his brothers did not believe in him until after the resurrection. Other verses tell us that in the New Testament. And yet the Lord saved them. Yet he redeemed them. And how do we know that? Because after he ascended and went back to the Father, we read in Acts chapter 1 verse 14 that his brothers along with Mary were amongst the few believers, and there were only a few of them, gathered with the apostles and they were devoting themselves to prayer. So the Lord certainly cared about his mother, he cared about his half-brothers, cared deeply about his family. However, the point the point that the Lord is making in saying my mother and my brother are those who hear the word of God and do it is that the way to become a member of the family of God isn't by being physically related to him but by being spiritually related to him and that comes by hearing the word of God and then note this doing it that's the key doing it see what Jesus was telling this crowd is that only those who listen to the word of God, meaning the message of the gospel about salvation, and then do what the word of God tells them to do, which is to repent of their sin, trust him as Lord and Savior. Only they become children of God. This is precisely what we read in John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. He was in the world, the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as received him. To them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So, contrary to the popular notion that everyone is a child of God by virtue of the fact that they're human, and that God is the father of all humanity, Regardless of what they believe, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that at all. The Bible says that you must receive Christ. Meaning what? Meaning you must open your heart to him. You must welcome him into your life as your savior, as your Lord. And then and only then does Jesus give you the right to become a child of God. But listen closely to what I'm about to say. The reason that Luke inserted this incident right after Jesus taught about the importance of his disciples proclaiming the light of the gospel so that others may hear it is because of the last few words of verse 21, who hear the word of God and do it. See, the primary message of these verses, really the theme of these verses that we've been studying today is hearing God's word, is carefully listening to what God has to say about Christ, paying attention to his word because your eternal soul depends upon it. And what Jesus is stressing here in this last verse of this section is that it's not enough to merely hear God's word. It's not enough that you come and hear a sermon. It's not enough that you listen to a message. You must hear it 
and obey it. You must act upon it. You must submit to it. James puts it this way in James 1.22, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who what? Who delude yourselves. James says that if you only hear the word of God without doing it, then you have deluded yourself. And by that, he simply means that you have deceived yourself into thinking that you're a true Christian when in reality, you are no Christian at all. See, Jesus said that if you continue in my word, then you prove to be one of my disciples. John chapter 8, verse 38. You continue in my word. You do my word. You prove to be one of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and what? They follow me. Jesus also said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's all about hearing and then responding in obedience. Now this sermon has been about proclaiming the word of God so that others may hear it. And that's because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word concerning Christ. So I ask you, do do you listen to God? As he speaks through his word, do you pay attention? It's imperative that you listen to him and that you obey what you hear because there is, going back to the first point Jesus made, there's coming a day when he's going to reveal the truth about you and perish the thought if the truth about you is that you are not a true Christian. So close, perhaps raised in a Christian home, going to a church where the word of God is preached, knowing other Christians, going to Sunday school, being so close And yet you missed it because you're a hypocrite. You claim one thing, but live another way. So get serious about Christ. Make sure you know him as your savior, your Lord. Don't let another day go by without determining to follow him with all of your heart. Today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts like so many have done. Respond in obedience to it. And if you'd like to speak to one of our pastors about this as we close the service, then just see me. I'll be up at the front with some of our men. They're willing, they're happy to help you. And if you are a follower of Christ, then be faithful. Proclaim the gospel. Let the light of Christ shine through you in your life and with your lips so that others can hear it. Let's pray. Our Father, We thank you for this passage of Scripture. It is not the easiest to interpret. It is not the easiest always to understand. But we can interpret it properly. And we can understand it. And we understand that it is important to listen to the Word of God. I pray for our congregation, Lord. I pray for everyone who's a part of the Lakeside family. That what they've heard today will transform transform them as to how they come to church and how they listen to the Word of God. I pray that you will help us to be as attentive as possible so that we would be obedient, that we wouldn't miss anything, that we would obey and submit to your word. I pray, Lord, for those who perhaps have been living as hypocrites. Nobody knows it. They claim to know you. They say the right terminology, the right words. They move in the circles of Christians, but they know in their hearts, you're you're not their Lord. Lord, I pray before it's too late, before the judgment comes and they stand before you, that they'll get right with you And that they'll take seriously the gospel, the word, the truth about you. And that they will be transformed. 
And I pray, Lord, for those of us who indeed know you, help us to be faithful in proclaiming the gospel. Help us to live it out before others so that there's credibility in our witness, but help us not to conceal it. Open doors, open opportunities, and help us to go through those doors with courage and to naturally, and not force the issue, but naturally share Christ with others. And may we see the joy of bearing fruit as some come to know you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.